0: Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. We will be looking at the prayer rule this morning. I do not have any pictures for you to look at. I didn't get home from, I went to Virginia Beach all weekend. Did not get home until late last night, so I'm sorry you'll just have to look at your books or look at your neighbor. Please don't look at me. <laughs> look at anything. <laughs> oh. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the basis of which and by the, the means of which we are able to come into your presence, and we are able to come into your presence boldly and call you Abba, Father. Thank you that because of the Lord Jesus, there are now no barriers between you and us, and there are no questions raised as to our eternal destiny that all has been sealed and settled by the blood of Jesus Christ, our once-for-all Passover lamb, and that we can now come into your holy presence as a child unto his Father. Quicken each of us, Father, so that we might truly be women of prayer unto the glory of Christ. Be with us now as we look at this very critical passage on prayer, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, let's look at that passage before we begin to talk about it, and it is found, this is a very familiar passage to all of you, probably many of you have memorized part of it, at least uh, Matthew 7, 7, you have probably memorized, but we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, where the Lord Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? okay that's where we stop and then our next lesson is on verse 12 which is the golden rule we're looking at the rules for the redeemed it's the sixth section in the sermon on the mount the first two rules the treasure rule and the worry rule the Lord Jesus discussed the virtues and characteristics of what a righteous kingdom citizen should have with regard to his relationship to material things he's not to stockpile them down here on earth, but to lay them up where? In heaven, where they count for all of eternity. And he's not to worry about things. So that's what we looked at, the treasure worry, a rule and the worry rule, our relationship to things. And then last week, with the criticism rule, the Lord Jesus discussed the kingdom citizens' righteousness with regard to personal relationships. Not with regard to things anymore, but he moved on to talk about our righteousness in regard to personal relationships. And we discussed how there is a godly form of judgment of others which involves constructive edification, lifting somebody up, and how there is an ungodly form of judgment which is destructive. It's destructive to the one being rebuked and criticized, and it's also destructive to the one who's doing the criticism. And if you miss that, get the tape on that. So we come now to the fourth rule for the redeemed. And it is called the prayer rule. And I just read it to you. It deals with righteousness in regard to, again, relationships, but not this time relationship with other people, so much as our relationship with with God. This is the third time, notice, the third time in the sermon, which is only three chapters long, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But this is the third time the Lord Jesus spoke on prayer in this short sermon. So, therefore, what can we conclude? That it's important. That prayer is very important. Now, by the time we get to this passage in Matthew 7, we can probably well identify with how the Lord's apostles and the other listeners of this sermon must have felt. Anyone who had been listening to him, Up to this point, with even half of a heart, would have to feel the frustration of, of knowing that they could never meet the standards of righteousness that he had been setting forth. You know, I can't even read through the sermon, let alone study it in depth, as we have been doing, without being convicted over and over and over again of my own unworthiness and my own depravity my human depravity and how far short I come in having perfection even as a beatific Christian one who is poor in spirit and mournful over my sin and has a pure heart and is always meek and always a peacemaker etc etc I have a problem knowing I fall short just in, in being a beatific Christian and I know how often I fail as, as being a similitude Christian being light Always to those who are in utter darkness and salt to those who are caught in the insipid decay of this world. Are we always salt and are we always light as we should be? We have to admit, you know, lately I have felt like just curling up in my, in my house, not being a light to anybody. I realize how wicked my own heart truly is in that I can murder with my thoughts. and and with my words, and I can be adulterous with just a a lustful thought. I I, uh, don't always keep a promise and can be therefore an oath breaker. I realize how I am not always real eager to give up my own rights in order to sacrifice for someone in need or to win someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been convicted, I think, about giving up our, our cloaks If somebody's asked for our coat, and we give them our cloak as well. That's giving up our rights. We've all been convicted about always going the second mile or turning the other cheek when it comes to giving up some of our personal rights. And what about loving our enemies and even praying for them? Even doing this for the one who has brought to us intense personal pain and injury. And all of this was just what the Lord had to teach us in chapter 5. We haven't even gotten to chapter 6 yet. Then we came to chapter 6 and we had to do a self-examination of our motives even for our service for the Lord. You know, even when we are doing what looks like good things, church things. Do we serve him truly for his glory? Or is there some desire within our hearts for some self-glory? Is there some hypocrisy within us? In that we do even good things so to be seen of men and praised of men. And how single-mindedly focused are we really, really on building up treasure in heaven? Are we inwardly maybe trying to get the best out of both worlds? Are we inwardly really trying to serve God and mammon? And then we came to the subject of worry, and who wasn't convicted about that one? If we're honest. And then the Lord Jesus took us into the subject of having critical spirits and blind spots to our own sins. So that by this time in the sermon, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. <laughs> How can I ever, ever get to where I am supposed to be? You know, and, and here's the really convicting verse. Remember verse 5, 48? <laughs> How can I ever be perfect as you are perfect? If you're like me, you just say, Father, I want to meet these standards of righteousness in my heart. Do you? I mean, I I sincerely do. I want to meet these standards. And I want to walk with the Lord as a Sermon on the Mount Christian. But I know (laughs) the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. I know I cannot do this alone. So the Lord Jesus being omniscient, would know that by this point his listeners and you and I, as we're reading through this sermon and studying it, we would be wondering how we could ever, ever be Sermon on the Mount Christians. So in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, he gives us our answer, and he tells us that the supply is available for us. All we have to do is A-S-K. Now, that's an acrostic for this verse. It's very easy to memorize this verse if you can spell. That's why it's easy to teach children. A-S-K, ask. Ask, seek, and knock. So the Lord, in his third teaching on prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, describes how a person prays who understands what the sermon is all about, which is having true poverty of spirit. You know, really understanding who we are in our beggarly situation before Almighty God and having a deep sense of our need for God's grace in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. So the Lord's teaching from this passage is not to be taken out of its context and abused, as it often is. Remember, we've always said you have to look at any passage of scripture in its context. But you will hear this passage taken right out of the sermon, right out of its setting and used as a name it and claim it type of promise. But that is not what it is here. You know, you can't say, well, I will ask for a 2006 red Mercedes with full airbags and CD player, the works, and I can claim it because it says ask and it shall be given you. God is not a divine genie in a lamp who, you know, if if you rub the lamp persistently enough, he's going to pop out and grant your every wish. That is not at all what this verse is teaching. If we attempt to isolate this text from its context, its setting in the sermon, we get a wrong concept completely of what the Lord Jesus is teaching by it. A te- here's, a, here's a little phrase to remember if you don't know this one already. A text without a context is a pretext. A text without a context is a pretext. The broad theme, remember, the, the broad theme of the sermon, as we've established over and over again, is the surpassing righteousness of And humility and sincerity and purity and love that the Lord expects from those who are true citizens of his eternal kingdom. Righteousness that has to far exceed the righteousness of religious people like the scribes and the Pharisees. Now these virtues are, we also have come to understand, they are all beyond man's natural ability to attain apart from the grace of God. So the broader context underlying the sermon is man's desperate need. You know, the theme of the sermon is exceeding righteousness, God's righteousness. But underlying that theme, we come to see our own need because we cannot attain to that righteousness. We are hopeless and helpless apart from God's help and hope and his grace. Now, in the preceding verses, before we got to this passage on prayer, the Lord had just warned us about the danger of condemning others as if we were their judge. He commanded us to first get what out of our own eyes? The beans, beams, the planks, the, the telephone poles out of our own eyes before we attempt to go around moving to, removing toothpicks or specks. Uh, or moats from our brother's eyes. He told us that by the measure with which we measure or judge others, we ourselves will be measured and judged, both by other people and, more importantly, by God himself. These sermon standards that, that Christ has established for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are really terrifying. They are terrifying, and they should cause... In the unbeliever who reads them, they should really cause him great fear if he really understands them and how, how he cannot attain to them. If he ever wants to be in the kingdom of heaven, he, uh, he, he, he should see his hopelessness and his helplessness and this should cause him to tremble and fall on his knees and ask, you know, how can I meet these standards? And for us, the believers, it should cause us a a great sense of uh, reverence for our Lord and for what he did for us when he died for us on the cross. Who could possibly alone live up to such high standards? Anybody? No, nobody except the Lord himself. How can we meet the demand for such moral excellence, both externally and where it really counts, internally? Who is able to be adequate for such virtues how can we attain such righteousness in our practical day-by-day walk with the Lord Jesus now we all understand by this point in time that positionally as soon as you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and understand that he died on the cross for you by his death and shed blood and rose bodily on the third day when you accept that and put your faith in that you are positionally righteous. God looks down at you and sees you in Christ. You are covered with Christ's righteousness. But we're talking about our practical position, our day-by-day walk. How can we ever attain such righteousness as is given in the sermon in our practical walk with Christ? <clears throat> we all need God's help, and we all need his grace, and that is why the Lord Jesus now tells his listeners where and how to get that help. He said, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now this is not, as so many have wrongly used it, it is not, as I said before, carte blanche for everything that we want. Well, I want this. So I just ask, and I'll receive it. No, no, no. Rather, it is telling us how to a, a, a pray, how to pray to obtain. Get this: Sermon on the Mount, character in our daily lives, in our daily walk. Remember, in, remember this passage in its context. It's telling us to pray that our lives in all areas which the sermon has covered, that our lives will be like Christ's life. Jesus is really teaching us how to pray for our spiritual lives. So as we consider these verses, these five verses, we will see that he teaches us to pray with humility and with persistence, that he teaches us to pray with confidence and he teaches us to pray with reverence. And if you're trying to follow me in the books, you're probably having a difficult time, right? Because so, this is really a completely different lesson that's, than is in the books. like to trick you. <laughs> that keeps you on your toes. I mean, I've got to have some reason for you to come here, right? Otherwise, you can sit home and read the book. <laughs> Truly, the greatest privileges of our lives are the spiritual privileges that we have as believers. Those are our greatest privileges. Yet the sad thing is how little we generally value our spiritual privileges. We are children of the king, the king of kings. Did you understand that? We are children of the king. Our father is the king of the universe. We are the beloved offspring of the creator of the universe. We are joint heirs with the Savior of mankind. We are members of God's family who have been given the privilege to come boldly into the presence, his presence, to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. And and we have the awesome privilege of calling Almighty God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator God, Redeemer God. We have the privilege to call Almighty God Jehovah God, our Father. And we can speak to him. When it says we can come boldly into his presence, that means we can speak to him openly. We can speak to him freely. We can speak to him frankly. It's like we speak to our loving earthly father. If you have a loving earthly father and can identify with just coming into his presence and being frank, open, freely speaking, we have that privilege. Wouldn't it, we consider it a great privilege to be able to boldly come into, walk into the Oval Office of the White House and ask President Bush for something? I'm sure every one of us would tell our friends about that. Well, I had the privilege to just march right into, who, ha, who alone has that privilege to march into the Oval Office without uh, an invitation, without knocking at the, probably his, only his wife and his two daughters. Well, see, we're children of of God, so we have that privilege as His children to walk right into His presence. We don't have to even knock. Well, actually, in this we do knock a little bit. <laughs> so, how much greater then is it to be given uh, every moment by moment of every day the privilege to come before the sovereign God of the universe in the Greek? The words that are translated, ask, seek, and knock, are given, notice, well, it's even in the English you see it this way, they're given as commands. It says ask, that's a command. It says seek, that's a command. It says knock, that's a command. Which means that prayer is not something optional for the believer. It doesn't say you can ask if you want to or you can seek if you want to. It's given as a command, a divine command. This means that to not ask, seek, and knock in prayer is what? Disobedience. It's a tremendous privilege, yes, but it is also to be a top priority because it is given as a divine, divine command. It's also interesting to notice that the three commands are presenting, presented to us in ascending intensity. They, they go in intensity. Start at ask is as the least and then seek and then knock. So they go in ascending intensity. The Greek word that is used for ask is a word. And you don't see this in your English. So you might want to jot it down. I don't know if I had it in the notes. But it's a word that is um, for, for the asking of an inferior to a superior. It's a word that the Lord Jesus never himself used. Which is interesting. He never used it when he was speaking of his own asking of something from his heavenly father. See, it's a word that uh, speaks of an inferior to a superior, yet he never used that word. Why? Because he is equal with God. He used the word epoto when he was talking about his asking of his father, which is a Greek word of asking on equal terms, an equal to an an equal. And that's just one more little way that he demonstrated his equality with God. However when he's commanding his followers here to ask in prayer, the Lord did use a Greek word that indicated humility. It's a word that speaks of a beggar asking something of a very generous person so our prayers must be prayed with great humility. We must recognize how poor in spirit we are how, how how needy we are and we must recognize the superiority of the one we are asking so true prayer does not promote pride at all but it is a recognition of our own lowliness which is quite contrary remember to what the showy religious rulers of Christ's day were doing I always think back to that Pharisee in the temple with the publican there was nothing pro- uh, humble about his prayer at all his prayer was so full of pride it stank and you know that that's that's typical of what the scribes and pharisees did if you look at chapter six remember in verses five to seven jesus told us that um, they were not truly praying because instead they were really just putting on a big show a big religious show to gain the praise of men they like to be verbose They like to use lots of fancy phrases. They like to give long, lengthy prayers and show off how much of scripture they knew. And they like to to stand where? On the busiest street corner so that everybody saw them and said, oh, aren't they so spiritual. It's futile to pray when our prayers are a matter of pride and showing off. When they are more for man's recognition than for godly righteousness. It's futile when we come to the Lord with any kind of pride. We are to come to him as beggars, asking of one infinitely superior to ourselves. Well, that's talking about asking. And then on going up the ascending scale of intensity, the Lord went from using the word ask to giving the command seek. Seeking involves asking, but it adds action to the asking The idea behind the word is not merely to express our need, but to get up and to look around for help, to seek. You know, we don't just ask. We get up and we look around. We're seeking. So it's action. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's action. No, it's asking plus action. So we're getting up in our ascending scale of intensity. So it involves effort, all right? Seeking involves effort. Then knock which is the third command, includes acting plus persevering. So it's action plus perseverance. It's like someone who persistently keeps knocking on a closed door. So the sequence of these three words, ask, seek, and knock, is, is really very forceful. It's very forceful. And by the fact that they are also commands, that tells us this even has more punch to it. Add to the fact that they are also given in the present imperative and you have even more persistence demonstrated and more force demonstrated. Now, you see, when I say present imperative, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But in the Greek language, there are two types of commands or imperatives. Imperative is another word for command. The Greek has two types of commands. There is the the, uh, aortist imperative that gives a single definite command, like as if I was to say to Dottie Barber, jump. That's given in the aortist imperative. All right, Dottie? (laughs) (laughs) Jump. I should tell her, jitterbug. (laughs) (laughs) Then there is also, or, or turn around, you know, that's, that's the aortis imperative. There's also in the Greek what is called the present imperative. And that's what we find used in Matthew 7, verse 7, which conti- commands continuous action. So it would be like me saying to Dottie, keep on jumping. You know, the whole rest of the <laughs> time in here, keep on jumping. Or keep on turning around. So what Jesus was really saying is, Keep on asking. Good girl. <laughs> he says, keep on asking and it shall be given to you, and keep on seeking and it shall be and ye shall find. And keep on knocking and it shall be opened to, unto you. They are intense commands that not only demonstrate the humility of the one who is praying, the superiority of the one to whom he is praying, but also the importance of persistence keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking and that's different from repetition we talked about this before repetition is just saying the same thing over and over and over again not even thinking about what you're saying persistence is coming from the heart on a daily basis you keep on asking keep on asking it doesn't have to be worded the same way in fact if you look over at luke's gospel It's interesting. Look at Luke's parallel account of this. You know, bits and pieces of the Sermon on the Mount are found also in Luke's gospel. He gives exactly the same three commands that we find. Look at Luke 11, verses, uh, well, look at verse 9. You'll see the same command is given there. But he precedes this uh, part of the sermon with one of the Lord's parables. And it is the parable about the importune or the persistent neighbor. So let's read that parable. And it's uh, found in Luke 11, verse 5, where Jesus said unto them, those who are listening to his sermon, he said, and see right before this, he gave the Lord's Prayer, what we call the disciples' prayer. If you look at verses 2 to 4, the Lord's Prayer. And then verse 5, he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity or his, persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needed and then the lord said and i say unto you ask and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you by using this preceding parable and then the ascending intensity of commands jesus is driving home his point his point is this that we are to passionately persist in prayer for our spiritual growth and by the way that parable is not only a parable on being persistent in our asking for our spiritual growth but also interceding on behalf of our friend because that's what the neighbor was doing he was interceding on the behalf of his friend who had no bread so when it comes to interceding for our friends and our loved ones what are we to do keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking for their spiritual maturity, for them to have Sermon on the Mount righteousness. It's strange how we will persevere in prayer if we are sick or if someone close to us is sick or facing some important serious surgery. It's interesting how we will persevere in prayer if we are having financial problems or uh, that we will persevere in prayer if we're looking for a new job. Or if we're looking for a new home, or if we have a a child with a problem, or if we want to have a child, you know, bear a child. I'm not praying that anymore, but... (laughs) Or if, if there's something frightening looming ahead of us, and we don't know what the future holds. We'll be very persistent in praying about things such as this, but how many believers are persistent in their prayers for spiritual growth, for themselves... And for others? Are we continuously asking, continuously seeking, continuously knocking in our prayer to ask for greater poverty of spirit? You know how to pray a really great prayer? Just go right through the Sermon on the Mount. Oh Lord, give me poverty of spirit in ever increasing ways. Help me to really see the the spiritual beggar that I am. Help me to be more humble every single day. Just go right down the list. Lord, help me to really mourn over my sin, the sin in my heart. You know, Lord, help me to be a meek person. Help me to have purity of heart. Just go right through through the Sermon on the Mount, and you will have a prayer that is so in the will of God. But how many of us pray for a greater sense of, um, of a forgiving spirit? How many of us persevere for that? You know, give me, please help me to be able to forgive those who have hurt me. For the love of God for even our enemies and those who despitefully use us. Do we keep on in prayer asking for the Lord's help in removing from us anger and a vengeful spirit and a critical spirit and taking away the worry from our lives? And helping us to lean on him, even when we, you know, we don't understand. Just to trust in him. Just think what could happen. Just think of the possibilities of what could happen if we all got a, an understanding of what Jesus is saying here about prayer for Sermon on the Mount righteousness in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones and in the lives of our local churches, our church bodies. If we all put that into practice, it would be phenomenal. We could turn the world upside down if, if Christians would just get a hold on this. Sadly, we often only give ourselves over to passionate prayer for our own spiritual growth and Christ-likeness when we sense our need for God's grace, when we're in some kind of a crisis or something. But the understanding of God's perfect standards of holiness and our own sinful, depraved hearts should send us to our knees continuously to ask for his grace. There is no hope for us without his undeserved favor. There's no hope for any spiritual improvement in any of us. And don't you want to be improving? You know, if you're not going forward, you're stagnant. And when you're stagnant, the tendency is to backward, to backslide. So there's no hope for us without his continuing love, his continuing mercy. So we should all really rejoice greatly that the Lord Jesus allows us the privilege to be commanded to continually ask and to continually seek and to continually knock in prayer. To be made more and more conformable to the image of Christ himself. This is a great, awesome privilege and it should make us rejoice that he gave this to us as a command. So we're to realize that the top priority of prayer, the tremendous privilege of prayer, the need for persistence in prayer, and uh, we're, we're to understand that we are to be humble in our prayer attitude, and we are also to pray reverently. The Greek word that is translated in the passage as knock means to rap, and it doesn't mean, you know, to rap like, here I am, a uh, rapping at your door. Open up, because I want more. <laughs> I'm not very good at rapping. Was <laughs> well, not that kind of rapping. It's a. <laughs> I don't know how they do their fingers. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I have to have my blue jeans down to my knees, right? <laughs> But this kind of rapping is to knock reverently. There are actually two words in the Greek. Can you believe this? The Greeks are so specific when it comes to words. But there's two words for knocking in Greek. One refers to an unceremonious pounding, like bam, bam, bam. You know, somebody comes to your door and then bam, bam, bam. That's kind of scary, isn't it? That's not the word that is used here. Instead, the word is a polite a tap. Like that. It is the polite rap that we are to, in our prayer life that we are to um, knock with. The one praying is not to bang discourteously or to kick down the door when going to God in prayer, but he or she is to keep rapping, keep rapping, tapping on the door very humbly and very courteously. And again, what this is emphasizing is our need for humility and um, reverence and respect in prayer. We're not to just barge the door down as we go into God's presence. When it says we can boldly come before his throne of grace, it doesn't mean we barge the door down. It means we can come boldly asking him freely and openly. And as I said before, uh, being transparent, being very frank with what we tell him. But it doesn't mean disrespectful. Remember, we're to come to prayer saying, Hallowed be thy name. We're to put praise of God first before petition, our petitions for self. We're not to demand or insist on our own needs and our own prayer list, acting as though God owes us some kind of favor to answer us. We're talking to God Almighty. And we're not just talking to some mere human being, and so therefore we must go before him with the greatest of reverence and respect. So don't get all buddy-buddy in your talk with God. Talk to God, understanding how holy he is and how much higher he is than us. We are just mere created beings. We're also to pray with confidence, and this is the part I like the best. The Lord Jesus gives tremendous assurance to us in verse seven by telling us that when we keep on asking what it shall be given and when we keep on seeking what will we do we will find and when we keep on knocking it shall be open to us and then he repeats this assurance just in case we didn't get it the first time he repeats it for us in verse eight when he says for everyone who will be persistent in praying for increased spiritual growth and understanding and intimacy with God will receive. Now this is one time when we can say that this is true even for unbelievers. Everyone who asks and seeks and knocks continuously in genuine humility to know God better is promised to have their request. Everyone. The one prayer of the unbeliever that God always answers is the genuine prayer for salvation, which would be, you know, a prayer where a person acknowledges his inability to save himself, his own poverty of spirit, and his desperate need to have his sins washed away by the blood of the lamb. So this is a prayer that even would be answered for an unbeliever because it's a prayer to seek God's righteousness and to to be more Christ-like. And God honors that prayer always, always, always. So actually six times the Lord Jesus promises uh, the positive consequences of persistent prayer for godly righteousness. Six times. (laughs) That, again, is the number of man. He knows we're slow to learn. So he repeats it six times. Three times in verse 7 where he says, Ask. It shall be given. Seek, ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. That's three. Then look at verse 8. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it is open. That's a total of six times he assures us that when we ask for Christlikeness, Sermon on the Mount virtues and characteristics, he will give them to us. Then in verses 9 to 11... The Lord backed up his great promise about prayer with some reassuring truths about the goodness of God, the generosity of God, and the greatness of God. He assures us of these truths about our Heavenly Father with illustrations, that, like he always does, that are taken from things that are very familiar with us. In this case, from illustrations taken from earthly fatherhood. Now, in the Galilean setting of the sermon, remember the sermon was spoken right near the Sea of Galilee. Up there, the audience would have been very familiar with the flat stones around the Sea of Galilee. I had a picture of one, I, but I don't have any overheads, but the flat stones that would be around the Sea of Galilee that are still there that could often pass for their common round flat cakes of bread. So the flat, smooth stones from a distance could look like a loaf of bread. And there were certain fish. Have I read this passage to you? Well, let's, let's read it before I get into it even more. I'm not sure if I did or not. I think I did. Um, yeah, I read it all, but let's review it. All right, verse 9. He says, uh, Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give, you, give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish... Will he give him a serpent? And by the way, over in Luke's parallel account, over in Luke 11, he said, or if his son asked for an egg, that he would give him a scorpion. All right. And then he says in verse 11, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Right, so we talked about the stones, how they could look like loaves of round, flat cakes of bread. And then there were certain fish in the Sea of Galilee, most likely eels, that looked very much like snakes. And um, there was a a kind of a scorpion over there that could kind of tuck his tail under him. I don't know how they did that because the scorpion tail, you know, goes around like this. But somehow when they were in a sitting position, a certain kind of scorpion actually could look like an egg. That's what uh, Luke mentioned that as well. So using a purposely absurd illustration here, or three of them, the Lord asks what father would give his hungry son a stone to crack his teeth on instead of bread? Or what kind of father, when his son came home asking for fish, would give him a, a, a serpent? you know, would mock him by giving him a serpent. Or even worse, if he asked for an egg, he'd give him something that was poisonous, that could hurt him, a scorpion. Although our cruel world today is full of fathers even worse than this, (laughs) sad to say, yet back in first century Israel, no father would be so cruel. They might even have stoned to death father who would have done such a thing. But in today's world, there's no end to what cruel fathers will do, even to their own children. Nevertheless, the Lord's point still stands. If man, although depraved and evil, notice he says, uh, if ye, look at that, if ye then, being evil, that's in verse 11, very important doctrine taught there. What if he had said, if we then Being evil. What would have happened? Throw away your Bible if it said we instead of ye, because he is not evil. He did not include himself when he said, if ye being evil, because he wasn't evil, he's sinless. And another very important word, he said, if ye then being evil. He didn't say doing evil, we are evil. That speaks of the doctrine of the total depravity of man. So every little word is so important in the scripture. He says, uh, if man, although depraved and evil, can yet demonstrate goodness in granting his hungry child's request for basic food items, such as bread, fish, or eggs, those are staples, how much more is a holy heavenly father willing and ready and able to give good gifts, he says, Good gifts to those who ask him. One commentator wrote this. He said, when you are at your very best in love, in pity, in sacrifice, and in caring for others, multiply that condition of heart by infinity, and the result will be your father, which is in heaven. End of quote. Even the best of earthly fathers can sometimes make mistakes, can't they? and sometimes they do make mistakes i know my husband's grandparents godly kind-hearted moral people their daughter got sick and they gave her some medicine thought they were doing what was good the medicine was poison they had got the the pharmacist had given the wrong prescription they thought they were giving her something good and they gave her poison and she died little 2-year-old girl even even, good earthly parents can make mistakes. At times, earthly fathers do things and give things to their children that they think are right, only to discover that they were absolutely wrong. But God, our Heavenly Father, never makes a mistake. That's comforting, isn't it? He never makes a mistake in that which he gives to his children. He never mistakes something bad for something good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, no changing, neither shadow of turning. In other words, he will not give us bread today and a stone tomorrow, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no dark side to him. He is consistent, and his gifts will always reflect his goodness. His gifts will not corrupt, and they will not pollute the receiver. And think about this, too. God will not give something bad for us even if we ask for it. Because he tempts no man with evil. Sometimes our perspective on things is so limited and so skewed that we might ask God for a stone or for a serpent or a scorpion, something that will harm us in some way or another. In our ignorance, we might even think that the stone or the serpent will be good for us. But God will not answer those prayers Aren't you glad? You know, when you think back over your life and some of the things that you ask God for, are you not glad he didn't answer that prayer? There have been times I've asked God to just take my life and I'm glad he didn't answer that because I guess I'm still needed to some degree and I still have a lot of growing to do and I'm glad he didn't take my life so I stood before him ashamed of having such thoughts. Elijah did that. Remember, Elijah prayed that he would die. But God didn't grant that prayer request for Elijah because he knew it wasn't good for Elijah to die at that time. There was still much good for Elijah to do with the rest of his life. More glory to God to come through Elijah's life. And there was a very special chariot of fire waiting to take Elijah to heaven, which Elijah knew nothing about. So aren't you glad we think back some of the things you've asked God for? Glad that he didn't answer them. I'm glad he knows much better than I know. Furthermore, although some earthly fathers may indeed deceive their children by giving them a stone for bread or a serpent for fish or a a scorpion for an egg, giving them a substitute instead of the real thing, giving them bad instead of good, hurting them instead of helping them, etc., yet God is never deceptive in his giving. He does not ever trick the one who is asking him, seeking him, knocking on the door of heaven for him to open his blessings upon them. He doesn't trick them or deceive them by giving them substitutes and fakes and things that look like that which was requested but are not. He doesn't delight in mocking us by giving us something bad when we have sincerely prayed for something good. He doesn't enjoy playing April Fool's with us at all. The pagans, now the pagans created in their own minds gods that were like this. They created gods after their own image. So, for example, if you study Greek mythology, you'll find that the the Greek gods of mythology were very capricious. They They played all kinds of evil tricks on people and enjoyed it, laughed about it. Had a good time doing it. But our Heavenly Father, the one true God, the almighty holy God of scripture, is not like that. Aren't you glad for that? His person and his character is far too righteous and far too holy and far too honorable and loving and just and noble than to be deceitful and to play mean tricks on those who come to him in honest prayer for the basic needs of life, physically and spiritually. Uh, and look at verse 11 again, where he said, If ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your Father, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? If we, if we in our fallen human nature, are able to give good gifts to our children, think of how much greater and how much more generous and how much more good are the gifts. From the one who dwells where? In heaven. Not an earthly parent. Almighty God, the one who has no limit to his goodness. The one whose power cannot be limited by any circumstance here on earth or anywhere else for that matter, heaven or hell. The one who cannot lie. The one who cannot deceive. The one who cannot break a promise and cannot do evil of any kind. This is certainly a guarantee of the fulfillment of his prayer promise. And by the way, notice again that it is to our Father which is in heaven that we are to pray, right? Not to anyone else. We are never to pray to anyone but God Almighty. Everyone else is a created being, not the creator. So why go to a lowly official when you can go straight to the top? It's unbiblical. To do anything else is unbiblical. And it's idolatry, for it's putting someone else in the place of God. So the Lord's how much more statement emphasizes the fact that not only is God so much more powerful to be able to give, but in his giving, he is so much more generous than anyone else. His storehouses are never empty. He owns everything. He created everything. First Chronicles 29.11 tells us that he owns the entire universe and heaven and everything in them. So there's no limit to his wealth or to his generosity or to his creativity. Remember what he said over in Matthew 6.30 when he said, uh, it, it. we talked about the how much more of God there too when he was talking about the subject of worry. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. Now, I want to point out one more thing with, the, with, the, with regard to God's good gifts, and then we'll close. And for this, we need to go back to Luke's account. <clears throat> so if you go back to Luke 11, remember the Lord Jesus, during his ministry, would have said, spoken, taught the truths of the Sermon on the Mount, on more than one occasion, as he went to different places in Galilee and down in Judah, he would give bits and pieces of what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we have the abridged edition in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but he would speak some of the truths when he was over in this town, and maybe he'd speak some of the other truths when he was in that town. And so uh, sometimes he might word it a little bit different when he was here, you know, given the same biblical principles, but he'd throw in a parable one place and he'd say something a little different in another place. So this doesn't mean that scripture is contradicting scripture when we read Luke's account a little bit differently. He um, he was getting probably his from Peter, who Peter maybe remembered what the Lord said when he was over in uh, Canaan or Cain or somewhere, not Cain, uh, Cana. I don't know. But here's what we find in Luke's account. He says, um, Luke 11:13, 13, if ye, not we, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give what? The Holy Spirit. See, that's different to them that ask him. Luke's account substitutes the Holy Spirit for good gifts. The the words good gifts were mentioned over in Matthew's account. You see, it is not a contradiction at all. Because it is God, the Holy Spirit, who bestows the good gifts that this prayer rule is talking about. Those good gifts are the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are all things that the Sermon on the Mount talks about as evidencing True righteousness. God always, remember six times we've been told this, assured this. God always answers the humble, sincere, persistent, heartfelt prayer request for the good gifts of God the Holy Spirit. And those are the good gifts that we have been reading about in the sermon. The only way that we can live out the Sermon on the Mount Righteousness is by appropriating the new life of God, which we receive when we come to faith in Christ and receive the power of the indwelling spirit, and then continually keep on asking God for the desire to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And this is why Jesus talked a third time in the sermon about prayer. What he was telling us in this text here is that we need God's power in his spirit to do right in all areas, to work at laying up treasures in heaven, to trust God rather than to worry about the future, to stop looking down on others and criticizing them as though we, they were inferior to us. Matthew 7, 7 to 11, is a very important passage on prayer. It doesn't give us a pattern for our prayers, like the disciples' prayer did in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. And it doesn't give us a warning about the motives for our prayer lives and the danger of praying hypocritically and having vain prayer and repetitious prayer, as the Lord's teaching did in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8. But it teaches us how we can grow as a Sermon on the Mount Christian. Having entered... By faith into the kingdom of heaven, we then have God as our father, and he is a great, and he is a good, and he is a generous, and he is a giving father. We don't need to be afraid to ask him for his good gifts. In fact, we are commanded to ask him. Even though he will still care for us if we do not ask for them, just as a good earthly father continues to care for even an unresponsive child, yet he wants us to develop our personal relationship with him. And for that to happen, we must communicate with him in prayer. He will give, but he will give even more when we ask and we keep on asking, when we seek and we keep on seeking, when we knock and we keep on knocking. If you're not growing in Sermon on the Mount Righteousness, You know why you're not? Ye have not, because ye ask not. James 4, 2. Remember this, you can never ask too much of God spiritually. Never, ever ask too much of him spiritually. He will give us anything that we ask for that is good for us spiritually. Now to get it, may sometimes be very, very painful. But in the long run, he is giving us that which is good for us in developing Christ-likeness. If you do not yet have eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the one and only Savior of man, you can rest in confidence, total confidence, that he will give you this greatest gift of all if you will ask him with all of your heart. Here's his promise. If you're asking for something spiritually good, he will give it to you. It is the one guaranteed to be answered prayer request for all mankind. But they must ask it in humble sincerity, meaning it from their heart, not just reciting some little sinner's prayer. It has to come from the heart. If you are a believer which I assume probably the majority of us are, true believers, but you find, again like all of us, that you come short on some of the Christian virtues and graces, then you need, just like me, you need to keep on asking. We need to keep on seeking. We need to keep on knocking. God will, through his spirit, work in us and through us to further develop those virtues and graces. If you are having trouble Forgiving a brother or a sister, keep asking, and he will give you a forgiving spirit. If you're having trouble not worrying and trusting him, keep asking, and he will give that to you. He will give you greater faith. If you're having trouble being hypocritical in some area of your Christian life, keep on knocking on heaven's door politely, and he will help you. If you are not being too good at turning the other cheek or wanting to demand your rights, or dealing with anger or a vengeful spirit, keep on seeking for these godly virtues by reverently rapping at God's door. If our heart is truly, uh, if our heart is truly in such prayer requests, and if we genuinely mean them, and if we are sincere enough to be persistent in asking for them, we have His six times repeated assurance that we will receive them and exceeding abundantly, even above all that we could ask or seek. If you meet a godly Christian, and this room is full of them, I guarantee you they have been on their knees for many, many years asking Christ for his image to be manifest in and through them. That's what it takes to be a godly Christian. Prayer, asking, 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 conform me into your image. I know in the process, Lord, What you might do will hurt, but you will not give me anything that ultimately is not good for me. Kent Hughes wrote this, and I'll close with this quote. He said, just think what would happen if we prayed for these things for ourselves and our brothers and sisters as intensely as we pray for our physical needs. The church would explode because a far greater proportion of its people would be living kingdom lives. Our pulpits would be filled with preachers of power. The mission fields would shrink as thousands more poured out to the harvest with greater power. Do we want the character of the kingdom in our lives through the fullness of the Holy Spirit? That is the question. Do we really, really want the character of God's kingdom, the righteousness of God in our lives? If we do, then we need to pray for it. Search yourself for the spiritual qualities you know that you are lacking but would like to have. And begin today to ask for them. Pray for them persistently. Have total confidence that God, your Heavenly Father, will give them to you. Because the fact of the matter is, he will. That is not to say there will not be a price to pay. Christ-likeness does not come cheaply. But it is worth it. End of quote. Let's pray. Father... Forgive us, Lord, for our weaknesses and our failures to come before your throne of grace more often. Forgive us for coming to you, oftentimes only when we have needs and problems and, and forgetting you when we seem to be in abundance and things are going well. Enable us, Lord, by your spirit to be persistent and to be persevering in prayer, knowing that you are an infinitely good heavenly father who delights to give good gifts to your children i pray that we will petition from you the sermon on the mount virtues and the standards of righteousness that we've learned about this year knowing with confidence that this is fully within your will and knowing that only by your grace and your strength can we be conformed into your son's image and be found practically pleasing to you and now We ask these things unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen.